from Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, we praise you that you prepared the way for us, that you have, that you have come that we might have life, and life, ever, life abundantly and life everlasting. We pray, Lord, rejoicing that you, the word made flesh, continue to speak to us today. We pray that you open our hearts and minds to receive your word this day, uh, that we might truly respond with a song of glory, of praise to you. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, for those of you that were, uh, were at the living nativity last night, you'll know that, uh, that I was really, really, really tempted to switch my sermon this morning to a reading from Isaiah, right? For those of you that know, Isaiah talks a lot about animal imagery, and he talks about, you know, the lion and the lamb, you know, all that stuff. That, a lot of that is from Isaiah. And last night, um, last night for all of you that were here and those of you that weren't, you're going you're to hear this story from a lot of different people. The animals kind of took over last night at the living nativity. Um, we had a rogue chicken who refused to get out of the manger that Mace had to pick up with his bare hands, as playing the part of Joseph, had to pick up with his bare hands and try to get the thing to shoo away. And Andrew had to do the same thing to try to get this chicken to stop sitting on top of the cross and to get out of the manger. And we had on the other side, we had a rogue cow that pushed a sheep out and broke out the side of the fence so that they just went running into the back so that the wranglers had to go get the cows and the sheep to come back in so maybe someday the shout so i want to preach this morning that you know like someday someday the chicken will live in harmony with the rest of us and the, the cow and the sheep will love each other and stop pushing on each other and breaking down fences but but i'm not i'm going to stick with romans 11 instead with, with romans 11 the song of praise to god and the song of of praise because of what jesus did because he did the right things, because he, he acted and enacted a perfect plan of salvation for us so that we, in the midst of a broken and imperfect world, would always know his intervening presence. And that's what results in a song of praise. This, this reading from Romans chapter 11, which we just heard a minute ago, is, is classified as a doxology. And doxology is, is your word of the week. So I want to encourage you to use the word doxology sometime in speech this week. Doxology is a word that means glory word. That's it. Doxos logos. Glory word. It's a song of praise. A song of praise which is sung in the midst of a, an experience, in the midst of a life experience that causes, uh, causes the person who is experiencing it to, to simply respond out of words of heart, words that come from the depth of soul, a song of praise, a glory word. And the doxology in Romans 11 is from the Apostle Paul. By the power of the Holy Spirit working in him, the Apostle Paul is so overwhelmed with what he sees God doing, he responds with a word of praise, a glory word a song which he sings to God. And Paul, Paul does this quite a bit in his writings. This isn't the only time. We could turn to, to other places in his writings as well. I'll, I'll direct your attention to one. It's in Ephesians chapter three. Ephesians chapter three, this verse maybe is a favorite for some of you. It goes like this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could hope for or imagine, 
according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Now aren't those appropriate words because this is the time of the year when we start asking for stuff. Right? How many of you kids made, made lists of stuff that you want for Christmas? How many of you adults made lists of things that you want for? Don't, don't lie, right? We all ask for things like you. Yes, raise your hand very high. Right? We all ask for things for Christmas. Sometime, at some point, I'm going to get the dirt bike under that tree, right? Hasn't happened yet. Right? We ask for all kinds of things. So when it says more than what we ask for, start to say we can ask for some pretty big stuff. We can ask for things that can't be wrapped under a tree. We can ask for things that with human beings would otherwise be impossible. And Paul, in the midst of this glory song, says that God provides far more, immeasurably more than all we hope for, ask, or imagine. Immeasurably more than the things that we could put on a list that we could see wrapped under a Christmas tree. Because he wants us to dream of paradise. He wants us to dream of a time when all those longings of our hearts are met because of Christ Jesus. He wants us to long for a time when all of those things, things that are well beyond what we could ask for or even imagine, are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And when Paul experiences this in his life, even just in a small way because he's on on this side of eternity, he results or he reacts with a song of praise, a glory song, a doxology. To him be praise and glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's a glory song. Paul's not the only one who does it. We could turn to the New Testament writer Jude, right? And I love this one because we don't don't turn to Jude all that often. The book of Jude is one chapter long, right? You can go home and read it this afternoon before your uh, sandwich is done toasting in the toaster oven. It's that, it's that short. But in the midst of it, Jude, Jude has this wonderful doxology. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless and before the presence of his glory with great joy. I love that. Don't miss the words of this doxology. The word that I just read was that God presents you as blameless with great joy. Do you ever think about God having joy? What what brings God joy is to see you and I forgiven of our sins, to see us redeemed in Christ Jesus. That brings him great joy. This is the thing that gets God excited. This is the thing in which God rejoices. And this is the song of praise. Before his presence with great joy to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. And if you know your New Testament, that should sound a lot like another writer. That should sound like John, who wrote the book of Revelation. Because the book of Revelation is is punctuated by this song of praise to God, this glory word. It's punctuated throughout the book, and it's a song that grows and grows and grows as as the revelation is unveiled before him. It it grows and grows as he sees God's work in the midst of destruction of the world and seeing all these things which are otherwise horrible. Because he sees the work of God in the midst of all of them. And so this song is then sung 
It's a song that sounds a lot like the doxology of Jude. It starts in Revelation 5. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, I heard every creature. Can you imagine what that sounds like? I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I can't even imagine what it would be like if every creature in this room sang the same song at the top of their lungs together. Oh, now he's picking on us not singing the songs. But can you imagine what that song would be like even in this room if every creature were to sing together in a glory song to God? And now imagine that it's every single creature everyone singing this glory song, this doxology to God, and what that sound of praise is like. And I heard every creature saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praised and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen, and all the elders bowed down before him to worship. What a picture. What a glory song. What a doxology. You see, that's what happens when God's people experience God's presence. That's what happens when God's people experience God at work in their lives and are transformed because of it. You see, a doxology is really simple. It happens when our knowledge of God results in an experience of God and overflows in an expression of praise, a a glory song, a knowledge of God. And, And for some of us, we've been reading this book for a long time and it's filled our heads with all kinds of knowledge of who God is. But you see, that next step that's added to it that results in praise is when we experience God. And when we know that all those things that we know about God are true in our lives as well. And we truly begin to understand and experience that our sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ. That's the experience. And that experience causes our hearts to be overwhelmed overflow in an expression of praise, a, a, glory, a glory word, a song that the Holy Spirit is plucking on the, the strings of our hearts, a song that is expressive to God, that we are acknowledging that this is what he's done for me, and because he has, he alone is worthy to be praised, he alone is to be honored and gloried, becomes our expression, becomes our song. And Paul does this as he writes to the Romans. And he does this for all of us. He praises God for who God is. He sings a doxology. Now we, we sing doxologies in our lives all sorts of different times. It's, this isn't just a church thing that happens. Right, we, we sing glory songs. We, we sing praise songs a lot. In fact, in fact, a lot of us, we're singing praise songs this afternoon when we watch our favorite football team playing. Right, when the, the crowd erupts and the crowd goes wild, that's a glory song. And so often, I'm gonna pick on sports for a second because I'm a sports fan, that so often what happens, right? What happens is that the sports star, the person who's in the middle of the field, well, they do this, right? By the way, notice I'm picking on soccer. <laughs> they do this, right? What's this sports star saying? Look at me! Right? Praise me. How awesome am I? Am I? Because I just kicked a ball between two metal poles. <laughs> and again, I'll pick on my sport too, right? Because I just 
I just hit a ball over an outfield fence. Now someone's got to go chase down that ball, right? Look at me, how awesome am I? And what do we respond? You are awesome, right? How's the crowd look? Go ahead, put the next one, right? We're responding in praise. Yeah, absolutely. I'll say two things about this picture. One of them is going to cut a lot, well, half of you to the core. I want you to notice that just about every person in that picture is male. And so don't ever tell me that, that men can't be expressive in worship. Because we have no problem high-fiving and fist-bumping when our favorite team is winning. God's, God's calling us to express our praise to him wholeheartedly. And that's the other thing about this picture. Nothing wrong with cheering on your favorite sports team. And by the way, this happens in theater, and it happens in choir. It happens in all sorts of aspects of our lives where we praise. But it's to reserve that one glory song for God. That one glory song that we sing to no one else because of what Jesus Christ has done. That one glory song that acknowledges that God alone is praiseworthy, that, that he is the one who is truly worthy of being praised. And that's what the Apostle Paul knows. He knows that Jesus alone is worthy of praise. He knows that he alone is the one that we should be directing our emphasis and we should be wholehearted toward, recognizing what he has done on our behalf. Now, Paul's, Paul's experience here in Romans comes at the end of a really difficult chapter. Because in the midst of this chapter, he's talking about how the Israelites have been disobedient, and the result of the Israelites being disobedient is that the Gentiles get to come into the kingdom of God. And he's saying, but then what about the kingdom of Israel? What's going to happen with them? And he says, together God will call all of them and restore so that together all might be saved. And then he ends with verse 32. He ends this part with a a really kind of perplexing verse where he says, God has bound them all over to disobedience. And we look at that and we say, now wait a minute, what would we praise God for that? Why would we praise God for that? Why why would we praise God for that? Because that doesn't seem to be the right way. That doesn't seem to be the right method that he would bind everyone over to disobedience. But it's for us to understand that there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. There is no difference between you and me. There is no difference between you and the person on the street. There is no difference between you and the person that you think is your icon of faith. Because God has bound all over to disobedience. As Paul would say elsewhere, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's not how he ends verse 32. He says, God is bound all over to disobedience so that he might have mercy on them all. So that all might experience his mercy. You see, the knowledge that Paul has of God now intersects his experience. Where this comes home to him, where he realizes that he was bound to disobedience, but now he is overwhelmed because Christ Jesus has had mercy on him and on others as well, that God wants all to be saved. And this experience causes him to overwhelmingly express to God his praiseworthiness, to overwhelmingly say to God, you alone are worthy, so to you and from you and for you are all things. You alone are forever to be praised now and forever, amen. So often we question the method. And in questioning the method, we never get to have the experience. Jesus can't be the only way. There have to be other paths too. But the scriptures keep calling us back to Jesus. 
They keep calling us back to what he has done on our behalf. They keep coming back to this and saying this is what God has done, that all are saved this way, that Jesus Christ has opened up paradise to you. And as we see that, it can't just be knowledge. It becomes experience. Where you realize that you are loved and forgiven in Jesus Christ. And therefore God is to be praised. And this results in the expression of your heart, your doxology. And when you don't have the words to express it, then the scripture writers suffice for us as we read their songs of praise and realize that they are our doxologies, our songs of praise to God, that the hymn writers who were psalmists wrote them for us, that Jude wrote it for us, that John expressed it for us, that the Apostle Paul writes this glorious song for us, and that each one of us, the every breath that we have, we praise God for what he has done. This is our doxology. And with our doxology, we express to God the knowledge that we have, the experience that he has granted to us, that we might overflow with an expression of praise. And so let's celebrate God as God. Let's celebrate what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Let's celebrate the miracle of the method for the glory of Jesus Christ alone. Amen.